welcome to this week's Talking Cod Swallop. I am Gemma. Hi, everyone. Uh, it's just me this week. And that is because this is a best of episode. So best of our Halloween episodes. So we've actually only had three that I can find. Uh, well, we've had a couple of others, but they were like movie reviews and stuff. So, but uh, actual episodes were just three main ones. So, but anyway, so I've taken some clips of best episodes and I wanted to share them with you because obviously we have got some new listeners. So I thought there's a golden opportunity to kind of show you what our content was like when we were younger. I guess, but younger as a podcast anyway. Uh, James has never been young, but uh, <laughs> he's always been an old man. Come on now, guys. Everyone's surprised that he's 40. But um, so this first clip is from our episode 37, which was our first ever Halloween episode. So it's called Halloween Special. And we were joined by our good friend, Nathan, who is a paranormal expert. And so he tells us all about his experiences. And I think it's a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoy this first clip and uh, yeah, enjoy basically. So the reason why you're here with us today is, like I said, you are a paranormal expert. Is that correct? How I'm referring to you? To a certain extent, yeah. Um, when it comes to demonic and, and what have you, that's out of my field. I basically go and try and help people who have uh, things happen in their house and, you know, to help them out as much as I can. Yeah, because I was going to ask, well, first of all, how did you get involved in this? Um, it happened when I was a child. I was hit by a van and oh. um, police, police oh, were chasing oh. the van and I died on the spot. And if one for this man seeing it happen, he jumped over the fence and brought me back to life. Um, ever since then, it might, might seem weird, but I could see things. Mm -hmm. I was like, um, I could see like, um, dark masses just appear from nowhere and, and, uh, like little sparkles, like, um, you know, like a, a sparkler. Yeah. Basically just. Every now and then, like a little flash, and I thought, this, this isn't wrong with me. And my grandparents brought me up, and my grandmother was, at the time when I was hit by the van, and I was taken to hospital and what have you, the doctor said that, told my grandmother that I died, and I was brought back. And, and then it, my nan said to me, have you started seeing things? And my nan always had a gift. Okay. My nan would see things. So but when my nan... Her friend was a psychic and she said to her, he's got a gift he has. And she says, you usually find people that has definitely a deaf experiences and what have you. They can enhance their psychic abilities. And I'm not psychic. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I can see things like, um, orbs with my own eyes instead of through a lens. And, um, I see a lot of shadow figures. So you don't need the photographic evidence in a way because no. you've got it through no. your own eyes. But obviously you probably need to have the photographic evidence to sort of back it up, I suppose. We, we did. Yes. We, I was at a, a group investigation about a fortnight ago in Cardiff. Okay. Manor House. And I was facing the stairs and they had the camera facing the stairs and the monitor behind me. And I said, I can see orbs. And this man was, yeah, whatever. I don't believe you. And I was like, okay. 
And I, I was telling them, I went back to them, I could tell them when I see these orbs and this psychic who was there, she was going, he's absolutely right. Oh my God, he's absolutely right. And and the man apologised to me and he said, I'm sorry I doubted you. People that will doubt and stuff like that. Yeah. And when this originally happened to you, when you were a child, when you became aware of this, uh, these abilities, I can only assume this is quite a terrifying thing. It was, yeah. To happen to yeah. you. How did I, you I, become, how, how did you sort of, for better word, become at peace with it? How did you kind of get used to it and, and learn how you could use it? My grandmother's friend, the psychic, she was, she, she basically taught me how to, you know, cope with it and not to show fear because mm-hmm. believe it or not, you will get a demonic spirit, you know, demonic entity, sorry, that'll, that will lap, could latch on and can notice you noticing them and they feed off it. You know, like a, a horse senses fear. Yeah. It's, it's similar to that. It is. My brother and my mum are actually both spiritualists. So yeah. yeah, it's not, it's not quite on the, the spectrum that you are, but, uh, you know, it's obviously, like you said, uh, it's very similar. Um, but yeah, it's like a lot of times, you know, if they're singing and dancing, you know, like when there's a group of them sort of thing, yeah. obviously it brings up the energy of the, the spirit and whatnot. But then I suppose it also, like you said, it happens on the other side of things when you've actually got a lot of fear then it is going to be, you know, more of a dark energy that's going to come to Yeah, yeah. I've witnessed dark energies. I've witnessed family. I have a spirit box and I take it on most investigations with me. And my grandparents come through all the time. Oh. And it, it's unbelievable. And me and my gran always had this secret word. Yeah. And, and that, that always comes out. So I definitely know it's a, a voice and it, it's unbelievable. For myself and for anybody who who doesn't know, what what is a spirit box, please? It's basically a radio that's been modified to automatic search the channels and you're never going to pick up a radio station because it's, the frequency is going at, I think it's about 9 to 12 stations a second. Okay, so it's kind of a bit like white noise that you're using. Yeah, okay. yes, yes, yeah. radio noise, yes. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, sorry, because I'm absolutely fascinated, to be completely honest. As soon as I, either I followed you on Twitter or you followed me on Twitter, I can't remember which way around it happened, but as soon as I saw your bio, I, I was just absolutely fascinated that I really wanted to speak to you. So obviously, I really appreciate the fact that you've uh, taken the time of speaking with us today. Yeah, so because all this kind of thing really does interest me. So pause the show. It's me again. Yeah, that good old intro girl. Right, this next story. You may or may not have heard me say that James cannot tell his haunted story ever again. This was the first time that James shared that story, and we were all quite interested in it. Five times later, I'm not interested in it anymore. And uh, But I thought, you know, Halloween, we have to have something a little bit spooky. So here is James's original first time hearing his haunted story of his uncle's house and uh it well to be fair it must be true because he's never really changed the story uh unless he's got it written down so you know he he may have been fibbing but i don't think he was but um yeah i think i think you're gonna enjoy it in its origin state but james this is the last 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 time this story is being shared on this podcast so tapos if you want to hear it after this feel free to go back and listen to other episodes where it may or may not have uh, 
been played um, or been mentioned, should I say. But, you know, yeah, James needs to up his game now and have a few more haunted stories. But this is a good one anyway. So take it away, James. Can I ask you a question, Nathan? Just sharing his friend with you and see your sort of views on it. Yeah. If that's okay. So it was when you mentioned sort of like the shadow variants, seen yeah. the, the shadow sort of forms. I mean, this is going quite a while back, going nearly 20 years back, but I <laughs> seriously remember it very, very freshly. Uh, I went to see my uncle who lives in a, an, an old hall. We're talking like old, old hall here. He recounted to me the sto- a couple of stories, but something else. So what had happened is when he got the house, one of the things he did was he started trying to take it back to the original um, yeah. brickwork, uh, well, stonework, actually, the stones. Um, yeah. And we're talking a very, very long, large building. And one of the rooms he took down, or the builder took down, say, the plastering one, and they found within the wall a picture of a young lady all dressed in black who one would assume is a widower. Uh, right. a widow, and you could date it as being old because the picture was, um, well, the photograph, sorry, was put straight onto glass. Mm. So you're probably looking around sort of Victorian times or thereabouts. Yeah. Now, my uncle is a chemist. Uh, he, well, he's retired now, but he was a chemist, a scientist, and very much a man of, well, science, and obviously not one yeah. of lines of fancy. But what he told me was interesting. He said, when he moved the photograph, things started going wrong, badly right. wrong. Deals fell through at work. Other stuff that he wouldn't go into, which was quite an interesting thing yeah. to go into or went wrong. But he says, as soon as he put it back, everything settled down. Yeah. I now can tell you what. Mm. Sorry, sorry can on. I just say, say um, when he start restoration of a house, so it's when you, as soon as you move into a property and then you start altering stuff, knocking walls down, redoing things, that can actually start things ah, right. going as well. And... Like I said, you found the picture, and that was put. That must have been put there for a reason. Yes. You know. Sorry, to interrupt. No, no, don't worry. Anything you can tell me, oh, and then the listeners, is of great interest. But where I sort of got brought into is also we've been taken around the house, and to best describe this, this is the old hall in in the village, and it's a long, long building. So you get into one part of you, go up the stairs, you go past this room, and we he was just taking us around the house, me. Uh, my parents, and we'd not been there for a while. He gave us a tour, and he took us to the fur- the room at the furthest end of the building. And interestingly, my uncle and aunt sleep at the, the completely other end of the building as well. So you go into this room, and I'm still talking, and right next to me is my aunt. And I can tell it's my aunt by, you know, that feeling you get when someone stood right next to you, you can sense yeah. somebody's there. Now, the corner, I can see my aunt. And she's not particularly tall. She's dressed in black, so I knew it was her. I turn, there is not a single person there at all. There's nobody there, but I would have put money on somebody being there. So that, that threw me straight away, and I knew there were issues with this house. But the, the, the big thing I'm coming to is this. So at the end of the night, this was Christmas Day, and at the end of the night, my dad says, can you go and get the coats? I'm going to go. And the coats, of course, are in this room. So I go up to the stairs, and again, to impress upon you, I've got a very long hall in front of me before I go into this room. And I'm obviously getting a bit worked up and thinking, you know, oh, oh dear, what yeah. could I be going into? And then I thought to myself, well, come on, you know, get a grip. You know, nothing's happened to you. Just go in the room and get the coats. So I open the door, and to this day, I've never felt anything like this before or since. The comment when they say that the hair stand up on the back of your neck. Yeah, electricity, yeah. 
the hackles are up like an animal. This is never, I've never had this. This isn't just like so me cold and feel uncomfortable and the hair's gone. This was like a proper response of flight or flight, uh, fight or flight caveman style. I've never felt anything like the hair's going up and it felt like, and when I say it felt like, I don't mean it felt like somebody did this, but the, the feeling was like when someone runs the finger on your back. Yeah. My entire spine went with it. And I've got to say, I've never grabbed clothing and left the room so quickly in my life. <laughs> did, you, did you say you was a child as well? I was 17 That's at the time. So, 17. And the interesting thing was that particular room where they have the issue, where, where I, knew, I knew somebody was in there with me, but that room in particular, I was told something else uh, a bit before. That when my uncle and aunt first got this, the old hall, they were sat in the living room and they could hear noises upstairs. So my uncle's thinking, okay, someone broke in. So it was quite a lot of noise, but he went in, nobody was there. But the other problem they had quite a few times is the doors would open and close, and particularly the door to the living room, and then the door would open upstairs. Now, as I said, my uncle is a man of science, so he tried to find out ways this could happen. Yeah. Could it be a draft? No. Could it be, say, the, you know, unless the cats were stretching themselves somewhat, uh, and opening doors, it couldn't be their the pet cats. But the other problem was, it, a simple draft certainly couldn't do it because the doors are all on latches. So the door would open and shut. What they reckon is, um, there used to be a circular staircase if people they looked back. So they reckon it was somebody right. going upstairs. I, I would put that at the end of the stone tape theory. Mm-hmm. Basically, the home itself or the, the actual rocks, the, the stones from the place, anything piece of furniture can absorb um, energy and and it's sort of like recreate, reenacting. Mm. It does, reenacts what what that, that particular moment of someone walking up the stairs. Mm. It, it, it is, just, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of like a house's memory, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Sounds like that, yeah. Internal memory that just every now and then it'll recreate itself, you know, re, re, reenact. Things just happened. Wow, yeah. That would explain a lot, actually. It really would, because this is house is incredibly old. I think it's also had monks in it at some point as well, so it's old. Yeah, that would explain a heck of a lot. I don't think it's I don't think it's ever caused any problems, really, for people, but certainly when they uncovered the picture of the, the widow, that yeah. must have created some real chain reaction, and the fact that when it went back to where it should go. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I mean, my father, who is the most level-headed man you'd ever met, and doesn't particularly believe in this sort of thing, says you cannot pay him money to sleep in that room. (laughs) (laughs) And you do get a really uneasy feeling when you go in there, I've got to be honest. It's that's fair enough. (laughs) I get I get a a lot of people like in um, new new houses this uh, it's like, how can this house be be haunted? It's it's a new house. It is not it can be the land. I I I say the land can Something could have happened on the land that's affecting it, or it could have, it could have been something that's followed you, or something that's mm. this passing and that could. Oh, I like, I like the look of this. I'm staying here. Mm. That's, that can happen. Yeah, or or it could just be something. <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. It could just be something as as lovely as a loved one, but people just don't understand as well. One of my first jobs, I worked in a hotel, very very old hotel so it was like 1500s and that was that was definitely haunted like there was times that 
I would sort of sit at the reception desk and I'd sort of look up as though somebody had just walked towards me, but nobody was there, you know, that kind of situation. Again, I never felt any negativity from the place. It was always, you know, like it was always like kind of a more of if they, if it was haunted, which I believe it was, they were more interested into what I was actually doing yeah. rather than, you know, there to sort of scare me or whatever. Uh, there used to be a hotel dog. There were certain rooms that were, it kind of had more sightings than others because like the guests would turn around and say, this is going to sound really bonkers, but I actually saw like the image of an army person because the the history of the hotel was is that they used to actually be like an army barracks within the hotel or it was a it was a place that the troops yeah. would stay sort of thing during like the bouncing of the bomb type experiences and things like that but so obviously i knew that it was you know i knew that it was kind of haunted from those people's experiences but when sometimes i'd finish work at 11 o'clock at night and then I'd start again at seven o'clock in the morning. If there was rooms available, I would stay overnight, but I would only stay overnight if the dog came in with me. (laughs) (laughs) Because he would, you know, quite often he'd sit there and his head would just sort of raise up as if he was looking at something. And then it was just like fixated on something. And then you're like, what are you looking at? (laughs) You know, kind of thing. But because because he did that kind of thing, I thought if anything was going to jump out and, you know, try and attack me during the night, at least the dog was there to bark and give me a warning, you know? <laughs> oh, then throw the dog at it and run. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, the older dog was very, very good. You know, he yeah. would sort of look after you and things. But he was also a very placid dog as well. So he would, like, if you were asleep, he wouldn't try licking you in the face sort of thing. He'd actually just sleep alongside you you know but then i tried it with the puppy once as well and that that didn't work very well <laughs> well licking his face no no the puppy just kept licking me in the face <laughs> throughout the night and i was just like you can get out <laughs> but yeah there was like certain rooms that were definitely you know there was definitely something going on in those rooms oh, and good job Bob. Yeah, we'll have to get you down, you know, get get you down to my hometown and uh, we'll take you to the hotel and see what you think. <laughs> I always give a good piece of advice because a lot of people say, oh, is it is it evil? Is it evil? Mm. And and I'm saying, well, if it's malevolent, it, it would have let, it, let itself yeah. known about that straight away, you know, and and I, I get a lot of, if, it, if, it, if it's a child spirit, don't, you can leave it. You, you can, it's a child's spirit. It wants to find peace. You can't mm. just yeah. leave it there, you know, because it, it's, a, it's, it was a person, you know, and it's a child's spirit looking for peace. And th- therefore, like when I go in and I, I, I can smudge a place basically with, with a herb and I say prayers and, and things have disappeared, you know, I've got, I've gone back a few weeks later. Brilliant. No more activity, my view, but I do get a lot of, you know, people saying, oh, is it evil? And, and that, you know, I can't help but saying it every time, every single time I get those two questions said to me. Mm, yeah. And it, but I think everybody, it's their fear, isn't it? It's like kind of yeah. like jump into conclusion that obviously if it's going to be still in a house and it's still going to be sort of wandering around or whatever, it's probably going to be really sinister. And you know, like people watch a lot of horror films and films, you know, like. Yeah programs that give them the wrong idea and like we said earlier it might just be somebody who's lost 
It might just be somebody who's nosy. Yeah. It might just be someone who's actually a loved one. You know, it's it doesn't have to be the negative side of things. Exactly. Well, exactly. I think it's the fact that also it's drummed into us, as you said, through film, through TV. Yep. It's going to be something that's going to be like scary and horrible. I mean, you gave me a memory uh, jog on two sort of things when you talk about stuff that would happen, and they both actually relate to my grandmother. And one of them was actually published in a book about ghosts uh, in the area we live, her story. But within the church that she went to, a very, very old part of it, and my grandma had been at a, like, say, a summer's festival selling things, you know, raising money for the church. And I think she'd gone to get some food in near this old area of the church, and she said she could hear old music playing on a piano. And we're talking like coming to the Garden Mode style old music. And she was thinking, well, what could this be? And she thought, you know, there was no radio on in the building. And she went out to try and listen outside if there was any kind of music being played at, say, the, the radio, uh, from a radio in the factory nearby. But this was not the case. And she said, you could really hear this music going and this woman singing. And she said, the thing is, when she went back in, she was trying to find all the things that could have caused this. She said, you couldn't, she couldn't bring herself to walk down the hallway. But when she mentioned it, some of the points, you know, I heard this music. And the person she was talking to said, oh, it'll be old Mrs. Such and Such who died, you know, many, many years ago. Obviously, yeah. revisiting her old, for want of a better word, that sounds like a pun, haunts, and playing her music. But the other thing that was interesting, less sort of, positive element that happened there is and it tied in again to when they were running one of these sort of events my father when he was younger was staying in the church overnight to make sure no one broke it or stole any because all these stalls were out and he said he's never experienced anything like it before where lights were going off in the building the sort of noises and creaking coming from parts of the building and it was just a very very unnerving experience for him and his friends so obviously and i guess it's not a major surprise in some like a church they'll be visited by you know hundreds and hundreds and probably thousands of people over the years that there'll be some sort of residual i'm assuming paranormal energy that's in there but a story about a child ties into my grandmother again she lost her uh, first child uh, as a baby and some point after Gordon died she could hear if I remember there was like a creaking from what would have been his cot upstairs which could be heard and obviously this you know would obviously somewhat upset and puzzle her. and she spoke to somebody who I think was part of the spiritualist church who'd said it's basically just his way of communicating so saying he's okay but don't let him don't let him be forgotten to you as a memory and she said just try and find a picture you've got of him sort of have it, you know, prominently in a room, you know, just to sort of say everything's okay and to know he's there. And once she did this, he pretty much sort of ceased. So yeah. the result is... He wanted to be acknowledged. Yes, yeah. yeah. And probably to say he was okay, I guess. You know, yeah, things yeah. So bad. So, yeah, it's it's very interesting to see these sort of things happening. Certainly on the positive front that things can happen, but it's not all this sort of terrifying, scary stuff that people expect. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, you were saying earlier, you've got like a special word. Yep. Yeah, because I've actually got the same with my dad. Yep. Like I said earlier, my mum and my brother are both spiritualists. So they went to this, I can't remember exactly what it was called. Basically, they sit in a dark room type thing. There was actually a spiritualist there who was sort of giving people messages and things. Did it be a seance? 
it kind of was, but yeah, it wasn't quite a seance, but it was that kind of thing. Yeah. Basically, before my dad passed on, like we said, you know, like, if you're going to come back, then we gave him this word. Now, his his name was Robert. So yep. we said, if you come back, say Trebor, because Trebor is the opposite of Robert. Yeah. Yeah, reverse, sorry. Ironically, before they actually went, I was joking around and I was singing, Trebor mints are a weenie bit stronger. Stick them up your bum and they last a bit longer. Like that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> silly little tune like that. But yeah, the actual spiritualist did actually say the words Trebor. So although I wasn't actually there myself, yeah. you know, that was actually the first ever sort of evidential confirmation for me that he did actually come through because he actually said yeah. that, because he said that one word, you know? Uh, yeah, that's cool. That is, that's really good because I know a lot of people that has happened to. Mm. where they've gone to see spiritualists and, and as things has come through and there's been messages or, or words has come through for the people that hasn't been there at the time and yeah. they've gone through other people to get to them to, to basically it's, it's, I think it's given them a message to say I'm here, don't worry about me I'm here, and it's, that's sort of comforting in a way It is. I think it's very comforting Pause the show again Woo, spooky and, uh, yeah, so I hope again you're still enjoying everything. So I really hope so. Well, we get really spooky on this next clips episode. So we are talking about serial killers in this next part. We've got a guest called Sean who joined us, um, good friend of James. Uh, so it's James, myself and Andy and Sean. And uh, Sean does an incredible job. He's he's so funny anyway, but uh, yeah, he, he really fits in well with us. So it's really good. The episode is 88 and it's called Murder Mayhem. Oh, I think there's something else as well, but look up Murder and Mayhem. Um, I can't remember what the other part was, but you know what? I wrote it down. I wrote Murder, Mayhem, and uh, I can't remember the other part, so sorry. But, uh, you know, there's been 277 episodes, guys. I don't know that I've actually managed to come up with all the names of the episodes. Well, not all of them. Some of them have been helped. But, uh, yeah, it's a lot of episodes I've had to come up with the name for, so, you know. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> so so it starts off with how I nearly uh, interacted with a serial killer. And uh, and then we've got Sean's story as well in the middle. And uh, he, he does a fantastic job, like I said. And uh, then, of course, we've got how James managed to survive. Not one, but two Yorkshire serial killers so you know embrace yourself for this one and uh you really really need to get your spook on with this one so I hope you enjoy what we're talking about on this Halloween spooktacular episode is we're going to be covering serial killers and we've each mm. brought a different serial killer to the party so please don't kill me please <laughs> where's my round of applause <laughs> 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 
Now that is a slow hand clap. <laughs> yeah. Gemma will just speed it up in the edit. No, no, yeah. I won't. It's much funnier to keep it the way it was. <laughs> so some of my family are Welsh from North Wales. And when I was a child, we used to go to this cinema that was very close by. And years later, we found out that that cinema, uh, sorry, the owner of that cinema actually killed people and were bur- uh, was burying all of the sort of parts of the bodies underneath the seats at the cinema. Nice. Yeah. What? what? <laughs> Good old North Wales. <laughs> Gee, God. So you had a bit of beef jerky quite often then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, can you imagine like if you were swinging your legs and you hit something and you'd be like, oh, what's that? And you just, you know, because naturally sometimes what you do is you just like, you know, kick that, kick the thing forward so you can see what it is, you know? You reach under the seat. Oh, and then a hand comes out. <laughs> but how creepy is that? I can't remember the guy's name, the guy who owned it. And, you know, he can remain nameless because obviously he was a horrible person. But yeah, it was just the fact that we so regularly went, uh, you know, when we were in North Wales, it was a couple of visits each time that we were up there that we'd go to the cinema. <laughs> Gee, God. It's a good job we, he didn't uh, take a fancy to us, I suppose, wasn't it? Was he picking, like, particular victims? Was it, like, women, children, or...? Yeah, I'm not sure, unfortunately. Alyssa's literally just a thought that popped into my head, so I didn't put any sort of research into it. So, l- listeners, if you want to find out more about who this murder is, please, you know, contact us, tell us, and Gemma can do all the research and find more out. Yeah further things about it yeah or listeners you could do the leg work and jim can have the easy part of just reading it out yeah so either way is good yeah they've heard me reading though that's the only thing <laughs> that's right james and i can practice doing our best Gemma impression and then we'll yeah in the style of Gemma. there yes. once was a man who <laughs> there was one street a man right who lived like yeah. in wales right <laughs> <laughs> I don't say right a lot. I say like no, a lot. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like a cinema. Yeah. yeah. It's always when I'm listening back to the audio, I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, I said like again. <laughs> <laughs> right, I don't think we're creeping out the listeners at the moment. So, shall we get into the spooky side of things? Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty creeped out, but go on. <laughs> yeah, well, no, yeah, those two stories. Yeah, that story was pretty bad. I, I won't be going to the cinema tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or if you do, take a stick and just have a little prod around. Yeah, yeah I, I might do just like a little grabber that you get from the shops. <gasps> yeah. Like, oh. oh, if you pick anything up, let us know, yeah? Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd bring up Sweeney Todd. That's really good. No, he's disputed not to have been real, but never mind. Um, but I like the story of it, and I like to believe that there was someone out there that led people into a barber shop, uh, gave them a good shave or a haircut, and then proceeded to slice the throat, uh, and then would pull a lever and send the corpse down into a cellar yeah. where one of his co-conspirators would then make up the corpse into a pie and sell it in her pie shop. Which, <laughs> When you put it like that, it's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> no one would believe it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 
I've ju- I've just been fascinated by the fact that after the after the first few, you think you cut none, but still people did go to that barber shop and get yeah. the shave. Um, maybe it's like one of those Jack the Ripper things where you know the identity was disputed. Mm. The the perpetrator was passed on from person to person to person. Mm. I've actually been reading Agatha Christie at the moment. So All right. uh that's not very dark. No, that's okay. But no, yeah, you're you're right with what you said as well, because it's like, you know, the people would go into the the barbershop. <laughs> Nobody would return a come yeah. out. <laughs> people would still go and they wouldn't question whether, you know, I haven't seen Steve anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In this small strip of shops, you know, we're all very local. So should, should we go grab a pie while we're waiting for Steve? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you remember that tattoo that Steve had? <laughs> well, it's, it's really funny because the meat in this pie has got the same tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do say human flesh tastes like pork, so... Mm. Yeah. Must have been like, you know, an early version of what they do in Costa now, on top of a coffee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've really brightened my day with this... Cobra on my pie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, I've got half a swallow. Well, to be fair, in Starbucks, they do put your name on the cup, so... Yeah. <laughs> it's the Fred pie. <laughs> mum? I'm not yeah. mum. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll, t- I'll take the, the pork knuckle pie, please. Yeah. Oh, look, they put love. Oh, and yeah. hate. Ooh, and there's a ring in this one. Yeah. <laughs> a bit stingy on the on the meat on that. Why is this pie giving me a thumbs up? Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that one with the. Oh no, that's not a bird. Yeah. <laughs> if you click on that thumbnail, no, you yeah. take it out the pie. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, miss. There's a hair in my pie. Yeah. <laughs> And I don't mean an animal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know I said game pie, but that's just taking the fucking piss. Yeah. So do we think t- uh, Sweeney Todd may have been a real person, but the crimes attributed weren't as necessarily as bad? And maybe it was just one person who owed him money who got his throat cut, and the only way he could dispose of the body was to sell it to the pie shop. Yeah, I, I don't think he was real. But... No. There was, there's definitely been one crime where it's been similar to that and it's been inspired to, like, infiltrate the story. Yeah. But Am I right in saying that there's been a modern version of that IRL um, somewhere up north, I want to say, where somebody murdered someone's daughter and was alleged to have basically sold her as kebab meat? Ooh. I've heard that story myself, yeah. I haven't. Um, <laughs> no. They believe it was a young girl, wasn't it? I think yeah. who was killed, um, and there might have been some sexual element in it as well. Ugh. They've never been able to find a body or find proof, but the there was this suspicion, I think, from the mother, wasn't there, that she'd been sort of killed and turned into food. So it's strange. It that you know there could be some truth to it. You never know. It's a bit like um, there was always this. It's just it's a it's a complete you know piece of fiction but the story of a woman she bashes her husband over the head with a frozen leg of lamb defrosts it cooks it and when 
the police come. She says, oh, I made a dinner for my husband sort of thing. I made this huge dinner. Can, you know, can, can we eat this? You know, because I don't want it to go to waste. And she basically gets away with murder because they can't identify what the person's been killed with, who's killed them, and the police sit down to the meal with her. <laughs> That's, um, oh, my God. I actually do remember that because we read that in English. Yes, that's how I, that's what I remember it from. Is it Roald Dahl? It's something like that, yeah. But it was an English class, yeah. Oh, that does sound a bit Roald Dahlish, doesn't it? Yeah, like the twits or something. Last but not least, yes. Who have you brought to the table? Going from the we've been discussing medical, obviously medical doctors. So I'm going to bring now to you the basically the highest. Uh, estimated serial killer we have in the UK, which is Harold Frederick Shipman. Bastard. Who yeah. was uh, alive from uh, 1946 to 2004. So uh, Frederick Harold Frederick Shipman was uh, a general practitioner. He worked as a, uh, a GP, and he initially started out... Well, they believe the issues with him may have come from his childhood, which is uh, obviously what happened to the world of criminality. Um, he, when he was younger, was incredibly close to his mother and his mother died from lung cancer when he was 17. And one of the things he would have, they believe have been around for was where, uh, she was having morphine administered to her by a doctor. And they believe that it's one of the things that he uh, witnessed, which may have, uh, triggered some of the things he, uh, did later on. Now, Shipman, obviously, he was originally raised in, uh, he came initially from, um, I believe it was the Yorkshire area, got married uh, at a young age to uh, Primrose uh, Oxterby, uh, who later also became Primrose Shipman when they got married. And he set up uh, as a general practitioner, or working as a doctor in training in Pontefract in West Yorkshire. Now, the interesting thing at that point is he developed a drugs problem, um, and most of the time when this would happen, uh, as a doctor, you could generally be struck off, you'd be removed, but he was basically just fined and told to you know, go into rehabilitation. This is where the situation gets worse, far, far worse, because he goes from being in a situation where he has a drugs problem um, to being allowed to set up um, as a GP on his own, or his own practice uh, in the small town of Hyde in the north of England. Now, to go into the extreme detail, what Shipman did would take uh, hours upon hours, but generally he would find a elderly patient who would generally be uh, a female patient. He would uh, befriend them. He would have, to be fair, throughout, he always had a very good relationship with his victim. <laughs> Sorry, I was just, I giggled a little bit there because you just said, to be fair, he would be... no. But but what he'd do is he 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 would get you know he he'd ingratiate himself with them. He was within the community. Shipman was absolutely loved by uh, the people who who were his patients. He was seen as being this incredibly upstanding, really caring doctor who would go above and beyond to help people. Yeah. The the link to me personally with this is it's the area of Hyde is around where I grew up. I actually went to school with old Shipman's kids, so I knew all his children, and I actually knew Harold Shipman. Mm. But what would happen is he would obviously be getting very close to these people, and they all seem to be dying of the same sort of things. They'd be generally older people, they'd be going in, and they'd, they would maybe in some cases be seen to be, okay, they were old, they had some health problems, but they'd generally go in to see him, or he would go and see them at home, and then they'd pass. Mm. And 
it was seen as something that initially that it, it, it was a very hard thing for people to believe. But you had uh, what they reckon was praise undoing was that when the coroners were looking at the death certificates of the bodies, they seemed to think he had an incredibly high number of death certificates that were signed by him that need to be countersigned by uh, you know by coroners. And then the real thing that happened is that a lady called Kathleen Grundy, who was actually a mayor for the town, died. And all that was listed on the death certificate was old age. And her family members couldn't sort of fathom, A, how she died in that manner, but also the fact that a large quantity of money in her will, and I think in memory serves me, her house had been left to shipment, and this was challenging. It didn't make any sense to them. Mm. So what happened is... Um, and it was something that you saw an awful lot of as the case became apparent what was happening is uh, Kathleen Grundy's body was exhumed and within her body were found traces of diamorphine. Now diamorphine is given an extreme painkiller for people and it's a derivative of heroin. It's a strange thing to find in someone's body unless they're, you know, they're, they're, they're fighting illness where they're in extreme pain and they've got a health problem. And when Shipman was questioned on this, and this is the one that I think was his real, uh, the real one of the real things that got him here, is he claimed that with Kathleen Grundy, who again is an elderly lady who was a former mayor, was a drug addict, which, you know, okay, it's not beyond the realms of possibility, but it's incredibly unusual. And the other thing that they got him on is the fact that his medical records on his computer were showing that, They'd been altered after the time they're supposed to have been filled in. So, say, you know, he might, say, put the 12th of June down to the date the, this person died and it's found to have been filled in in, say, September. Mm. They also found that the typewriter he had showed that it was the same sort of typewriter that was used for a forged will. And the more they investigated what Shipman was doing, and the more times they were looking at the bodies, they began to found a a, um, a common pattern in what he was doing, which was finding an older person. They were being found to have died with uh, you know, an injection of dimorphine that was killing them off. With regard to Shipman, at the time it was incredibly... Um, it was a, a case that created a real um, shock within the country because nothing had ever been seen at this level before when it comes to killing. And certainly... When you look at somebody who's, who's taken Hippocratic Oath, who's expected to actually, you know, you know, save lives instead of ending them, um, people couldn't fathom what was going on. I remember personally within the communities around then, people who'd known him and known his children, they just, initially when he was arrested, people said, this has got to be wrong. There's no way this can be, uh, this can be done by him. This has got to be a misunderstanding or a stitch up or something. And then as more and more information came out, it became apparent that this was not the case. And he was actually found guilty of 15 counts of murder and one count of forgery at the case. Now, at his trial, sorry. And he was sentenced, obviously, to life imprisonment. The decision was then made that by the then Home Secretary David Blunkett that he would serve a whole life tariff, as in he would never, ever be freed from prison. And so he should, to be fair. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, he's dead now, but yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. What then happened is Shipman was in prison. After a certain period of time in prison, he basically took his own life. And the belief band, the reason he did that is that um, it was to, to allow his family to get monies from, like, his will. But he said throughout the entire time he was in prison, he would never admit to anything. He never gave um, he never gave anybody any clues as to what had happened or what he'd done. And he stands in history. He's now infamous as being the only doctor in history 
within Britain who's been found guilty of murdering their own patients. And when they look back at more of the things he'd done, they believe he could have potentially killed people even earlier on, but they cannot pin it on him. Uh, they don't have enough evidence. So the figures they look at on how many people they think you've, he's killed, and just to really, really look at this and emphasise it, between 215 to 250 people they believe he could have killed. Bloody hell. I mean, it, it, it's not as as higher numbers, but there was the nurse who was, um, I think it was 2003, or was it a little bit later? I'm trying to think, sort of, might be might have been a bit later, but he was a nurse and he was found guilty of murder of um, patients in his care through mm-hmm. overdose of insulin and morphine. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you're starting to hear more and more cases of, you know, rogue health professionals. And I think the shocking thing with Shipman is the fact that the length of time that he was supposed to, you know, they reckon he'd done this between 1975 and 1998. <clears throat> this period where he was sort of acting with, uh, well, you know, basically impunity. Nobody was had the ability to stop him. Uh, an interesting personal side note I have that links me in the Shipman, other than knowing his children thing from school and having known him and his family to a degree, is, as I said, with the Hippocratic Oath, so Put to one side the fact he was a murderer. Just consider the fact he was a doctor. And as part of the Hippocratic Oath, you are supposed to look after people and care for them. Uh, and when I was very young, we all went on a scouting trip. And there was, uh, you know, a, a lads and dads cubs thing. And one of the pe- fathers who was there doing it was Harold Shipman, as was my father and other people's fathers. And he'd go off and do various activities. And when I was there, I probably about eight, I fell really badly and hurt my knee. And I mean really, really hurt my knee. Now, the interesting thing is the only two people who really looked after me were uh, my father and a friend, a friend's father. They tried to speak to Harold Shipman, who you'd think the doctor would show some interest in caring, and somebody would hurt themselves, and he seemed very dismissive and disinterested. Mm. Because you were on age. (laughs) But, I mean, that's a good thing. Obviously, it's a very good thing that he did show disinterest into you, though. I'm not saying he would have killed me, but you would think as a doctor, you know, suppose he's a doctor, he's someone who's supposed to uh, to look after people and show an interest in them. Or even, you know, even if what he needed was a plaster, he'd got yeah. a bit of bedside manner just to calm you, calm you down. And that's what I mean, that was a very interesting thing. But it was quite, I do remember at the time what an absolute shock it was, because people could not understand, and you can understand it, people just could not fathom and believe what he'd done. Mm. Yeah, you know, I remember sort of being in shock, in shock, but like disgusting mm-hmm. shock, you know, at how, you know, cause I always, I always think of, you've got the, the kind of three different generations mm-hmm. in my eyes. You've got children, very small children, you know, uh, up until say the age of 16 mm-hmm. sort of thing. Then you've got adults and then you've got the elderly. And it's kind of like if anything gets affected, you know, like if the, elderly get affected by something or get you know bumped off by something or children then it kind of really it kind of makes me angry Mm. you know because i think of those two categories as being categories i suppose that's not the right term but anyway groups groups yeah thank you as being the vulnerable Mm -hmm. you know they're putting trust into these people who are then you know killing them and I'll, i'll stick up for everyone and say that everyone is vulnerable. <laughs> but I know what you yeah. mean. But, uh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, to a point, yeah. But if if it was the case, say it was a really frail old lady. I'm going to use an old lady, but it could be an old man. 
and a doctor's coming in to see her and she's refusing to have the injection, but actually that doctor's stronger than her and can pin her down to give her the injection. As like your age, Andy, or my age, or, you know, everybody else in the chat, we probably would have the energy to fight that person off. Whereas that frail little old lady probably doesn't. Yeah, but I'll take umbrage to that because, you know, we aren't, not everyone is fit, strong and healthy. Mm. So, but anyways, it, that's a completely yeah. massive different subject. But no, I, you know, I, I get the sentiment. Yeah. But the, the only positive thing that ever came out of the shipment case, the situation with him is, there was a huge review of, the, you know, keeping records, um, the way the, the medical profession acted to stop people being able to do this. Because the thing that you maybe wouldn't have been aware of so much, unless you're like me, of that area, um, although I never used shipment as a doctor, I, I didn't live close enough to, to the, where he worked, um, and it fell into the catchment, is that he was running this the re- when I, I mean, people laugh, but when I say people loved him, they did love him. In the community, who seems this fabulous, brilliant doctor who ran pretty much an entire thing on his own with a very low level of staff. And you would have, even at the time, I think even after, with some people, they would not hear a bad word against him because they could not believe that he'd done what he'd done because he was so loved. And that's what I'm talking about, the, the horror of what he did and the impact it had upon the entire community, and still to some degree has on the community, is quite a shocking thing. But it has mm. the, the positive impact it's had upon the medical profession, the fact that people are now not allowed to sort of sign off death certificates so uh, easily and readily, and that it's more stringent review what's going on. It's just a massive abuse of position. Yeah. That's, that's what does it for me, is because you're yeah. putting your trust in someone. Yeah, and that was the big, that was the, the real the shock for people that he was seen as this big trustworthy person. Yeah. And I guess that's still a time where the GP, the, the doctor was still the heart of the community and, and they knew their patients. Yeah. And he would go out and do home visits and things. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember the last time I actually saw my named GP. Yeah, me neither. I, well, I, as you say, GPs, like they integrate themselves into the community, don't they? Mm, and they it, do. It sort of became sort of hero worship, I think, with ship, with ship. Yes, spot on. Yeah, that's sort of like they won't have a word said against him because yeah. he's renowned for I don't know. He sorted out my son's knee, or he helped my grandfather's bronchitis. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Am I right in thinking that they all those deaths uh, within that community? They just put that off as coincidence or wouldn't connect him i don't know if they were all within that community obviously an incredibly high number of them would have been but they then stepped and looked at when he'd been in uh you know in he'd been he'd been a, initially working as a gp in uh in yorkshire in tomadon so they sort of looked at the entire run of what he'd done and it, it's you know it's a it's a horrific thing when you look at it but it puts a massive question mark over if not all, but the majority of his death certificates of people above a certain age. That's what happened. It, 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 the only thing, I mean, obviously he did what he did and it's terrible, but is you will ask the question, how much of the, have the, you know, because they've probably thrown a bit of a blanket over the number and said, well, 
like you said, Andy, well, that's just question Probably. everything. So it's hard to say how much is exactly going to be something he's where he's killed somebody, uh, or, you know, they just sort of hedge the bets on it. And it's a bit like, I sort of say the same thing with what happened with Jimmy Savile. He did horrific, awful things, but I Ugh. don't think everything they've accused him of is going to be what they say he's done. You know, some of it, I think he's, they've thrown the blanket, say, well, we'll cover everything. Yeah. Do you know what the shame was with that one? With Jimmy Savile mm-hmm. was the fact that it all came to light after he died. Yeah, yeah. You know, and not that I wanted him to defend himself, but you know, like for the things that he, the things that he did, which were absolutely disgusting. Um, you know, like he. There's no justice. Yeah. He should have paid for what he'd done. I mean, he will hopefully, if there is a god and if there is a hell and all that, hopefully he will be suffering for that. You know. It's just a complete lack of justice, um, you know, and I think also the the the, the victims' families for Shipman will feel robbed of that mm. with his suicide. Yeah, yeah, and I, I remember hearing that at the time that a lot of people said, "Well, what what happened?" Because I remember, you know, I was actually woken up, but it was my mother actually woke me up to say, you know, Harold Shipman hung himself uh, when that that became apparent in the in the news of what he'd done. But they said he could never ever admit to anybody what he'd done. He couldn't do it. Now, whether he'd done this thing where you hear where people convince themselves they've not done something because they can't face it or he just simply didn't want to admit to it. Yeah, pride. We will, yeah, we'll never know. Because it was a power thing they said with him as well. He, he was quite an egotistical chap, as I understand it. I don't have a real memory, great memory of him. I remember being around him a bit, but I don't have loads of memories of him. But yes, he was supposed to be quite a controlling chap. So psychopaths aren't aren't the nicest. No. No. Well, no, they're not, obviously. But yeah, I think you're quite right there, Andy. <laughs> Sorry, Andy, I always agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not because I'm always right, but you know, ninety nine point nine nine percent of what I say is partially true. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's fake news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know there's been a big spate of the kind of what i would say trust killings because you know the yeah. soap murders you know the caretaker mm. you know the it's just it begged that's i think that's the biggest shock is i think people can handle murder of a single or multiples for serial killers if there is no connection between the victim and the perpetrator yeah. When it becomes a, an emotional link or a tangible link, that's where we as a society just cannot process that abuse. Yeah. But the problem is the majority of murders are, you know, murder, most of the time when there is a murder, is by the victim knows the person who's killed them, don't they? There is some sort of connection there. For one, for single murders, yeah, but for serial killing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a very special category. Yeah, because it's usually the same type of person. Yeah. Either they've got blonde hair, brown hair, brown, you know, like whatever mm-hmm. the specificness about it. And there's always like a yeah, there's a pattern, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, there's lots of patterns. That's that's yeah. what I'm trying to say. James, did right. you have another one or um... I've got one more, but okay. it's not a serial killer, but it is a murderer. Okay, so. There was, whether or not you all have heard of this, um, this case, uh, but this is another one that has huge precedent upon the legal system. There was a uh, young girl, she's only 11, called Leslie uh, Susan 
well, she was born Leslie soon as Susan Anderson, and then when her family remarried, she was known as Leslie Mulseed. And she was an 11-year-old girl, and she lived in West Yorkshire. And she was killed. Um, I don't want to go into huge details. It's it's quite a horrible case, but she was basically, she was a very sickly child anyway, and she had various cardiac and uh, heart problems. She had to have heart surgery as a child. Now, she was... Um, Killed in 1975, and basically, long story short, you know, you can look up, look up and see about her. But she went out to go shopping for a mother, and she was uh, basically uh, kidnapped, uh, assaulted, uh, you know, sexually assaulted, and uh, murdered. Now, the impact this has, the death of a child is always a terrible thing. The murder of a child, the murder of anybody, is a terrible thing. But the impact this had on the legal system um, is quite unbelievable because there was a man uh, known as uh, Kitchko who was a uh, worked as a tax uh, specialist in the area in Rochdale. Um, uh, sorry, no, it was um, near Rishworth Mall, sorry, uh, where she was killed. But within the Rochdale area, there was a guy called Kitchko, and he was a, uh, a tax worked in the tax office. And he basically had uh, extreme learning difficulties and he was picked up by the police on a tip-off by four young girls who said I think he'd exposed himself to them and he'd been seen in the area. When he was picked up he was found to have like, you know, some sweets in a car and uh, some girly magazines of some some sort. He was picked up by the police who basically um, put him through uh, an extremely, uh, well, inconsistent uh, an incorrect form of questioning. So he was basically just, he was never given any of his rights correctly. No solicitor was present basically for the interviews. And he was basically um, railroaded into admitting uh, that he committed a murder which he never committed. He went to prison. Um, as I said, this guy was basically, to use probably not too correct term, but he was sort of subnormal. So he was not someone who would ever be able to, to process what he said or what he did correctly. He thought that by telling the police what he wanted, he would be found to be innocent in court and would be released from prison and nothing would, you know, he'd never go to prison. He was basically, you know, he ended up spending, to put it short, um, pretty much, most of his, his life within prison. He was attacked in prison. He was assaulted by people. Because of his own mental health problems, it got worse for him. He ended up getting schizophrenia while he was in prison. And, as I said, he went into prison in 1975, cons- consistently uh, pled his innocence. His poor mother attempted to get him out of prison to help him. And he was only acquitted and released from prison in... Um, in 1992. <gasps> so if you think he'd basically been in prison since 1975 for a crime that he hadn't committed, and he was at, when he was released from prison, so he was only released in, um, uh, yeah, in probably about 92 to 93, sorry, late 92, he was fully allowed to go home because he was having to spend time even in hospital then because of the effect it had on him. He basically died of a massive heart attack in nine. In, on the 23rd of December 1993. Oh, man. Uh, and unfortunately, his mother died somewhat later from this. So this it's viewed as one of the worst miscarriages of justice that had happened. So obviously, some this poor man had gone to prison. The girls who lied about what they'd said about him sort of admitted they lied, but I could never get my head around why they were not charged with, you know, basically miscarriage of justice, lying to the police, etc. But that didn't seem to happen. I, I suppose it depends on the age of the 
the girls as well, doesn't it? But as adults, they admit as adults that they've lied, you think there will be some repercussion. Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, this terrible miscarriage of justice had happened. And then, on the 5th of November 2006, a man called Ronald Castry, who was from Little Britain, Rochdale, was uh, picked up for the crime due to DNA evidence they found. From what I understand, they'd found, because there'd been improvements in the ability to look at DNA, they found that there was, in fact, a semen sample on the underwear of the girl uh, who'd been killed, and it was found to be Ronald Castry's uh, DNA from another crime he committed. Uh, He was basically found to have been arrested for sort of like a sexual assault in the past and assaults against people. Now, the interesting link is the fact that Ronald Castry was a comic book dealer and he had a comic book shop in the town of Asher under Line, which is where I went to college. Oh, God. And I'm sure you can see where this is leading. So I used to sometimes go to the comic book shop of Ronald Castry and spent an awful lot of time, uh, you know, talking to him, etc., etc. Now, interestingly, before Ronald Castry was picked up and arrested for this, uh, and he went to, he's now serving like a minimum of 30 years in prison, he suddenly shut up shop, suddenly. And then shortly after he'd shut up shop and sort of vanished off the scene, he was picked up for this this, this murder and arrested. Um, so yet again, unfortunately, this is somebody I've had some involvement who was a mur- who was a murderer. But here's the really w- sort of scary thing. I actually discussed this case with him. <laughs> what did he say then? Nothing. He said nothing about it, but I remember sort of saying, oh, wasn't it terrible that this guy had gone to prison? And some, and sort of like basically said some horrible bastards let him rot for a crime that he committed. He sort of, he was very non-committal. No disrespect, James, but I don't think I ever want to meet you in person. You are just so fucking unlucky. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't kill me. <laughs> what? Sir, you, wait, hang on, hang on. You say unlucky. You say lucky, I say very lucky. <laughs> I was going to say, though, James, you know how you've got, like, this um, this gap in memory where you yeah. can't remember certain things? Did yeah. all of this happen during that time? <laughs> no. <laughs> When's the last time you Way had before. an MRI slash full body x-ray? Uh, Are you sure you've got all your <laughs> organs? Is there any little <laughs> scars on you that you're thinking... Not quite. Don't quite remember how I got that. Oh, there's a lot of scars on me, but I do thankfully know where most of them are from. <laughs> yeah. yeah, most of them. <laughs> but is that not amazing to think that with Castry, I actually mentioned the case to him? Yeah, I mean, amazing is probably the worst word that you could use, but yeah, it is. It's definitely interesting. But but it, that case created such a review in the way the 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 you know the legal uh, system was operating. I mean, the fact that this poor man, that's the thing, this, some yeah. poor girl has been killed. Some poor man who completely and utterly done nothing wrong simply because he fit, and it's the awful things he fit a profile, mm. you know, as being the weirdo, you know, went to prison. But with Castry, when they then looked at his case, you know, his, his, his file, and sort of basically realised how many other things he'd done, which I think he'd assaulted a prostitute, he'd assaulted some woman, He's believed to also, I remember reading something, his son was saying that he'd sexually assaulted other children, uh, an incredibly nasty bit of work, and also a fanaticist, because he'd tell, he sort of like said to me, oh, well, I once served in the army, I did this, I work as I, I also go and sort of get, get money from people, like doing loan sharking, and it was all just bullshit. He'd never served in the army, he never did anything to do with loan sharking. So, yeah. 
but yeah, terrible situation. But it's good to see that finally, you know, justice prevailed, and he um, he's now serving the prison sentence which he should have served all those years ago. It's me again. Hi, everybody. Right. Well, to give you a little bit of new content as well before we get into uh, some more slightly light-hearted stuff with the next part um because obviously that last bit was quite spooky and uh it it got a bit uh, you know got a bit sinister towards the end and uh thank goodness that you know james didn't uh you know meet the third serial killer that could have potentially ended his life i don't know but anyway so i have got a tiny little bit of extra gross Halloween content for you. <laughs> so, myself and Socks were in the garden. We were just chilling out, you know. And all of a sudden, a crow flew into the garden. You crow. Ooh. Or was it a raven? Ooh, raven. No, it was a crow. Anyway, <laughs> and uh, basically, uh, Socks had been for number two in the garden, you know, had a codswallop in the garden. And uh, yeah, so this crow just started pecking at his shit. And we were like, both me and the dog were kind of looking at each other like, why is it doing that? That's gross. But anyway, so we carried on watching because we just couldn't believe that and then all of a sudden it flew off with the poo in its mouth and we were like <laughs> so you know like i said it's a bit of gross halloween news there that i've been waiting i've been sitting upon to uh share with you you wonderful salty tadpoles but um yeah so if uh if none of you actually pulled the face of then, you know, there's something seriously wrong with you. <laughs> so go back and listen to it and then pull that face and then you'll be all right. <laughs> so these next uh, lot of clips, as we always do with ending the episode, we always end with stories of the week. So we took a little twist in 2020 because obviously everyone was in lockdown. We decided to do a slightly comical Halloween episode. And boy, did we manage to do that. So we found 10 stories that were Halloween based. Now, I haven't put all 10 stories in here because, well, I'm not going to lie. I am in trying to encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone. But this personally is one of my favorite Halloween episodes that we ever did because it was so funny. It was kind of more on brand than the other side of things. Not to say that the other two episodes that we did weren't fantastic as well, but because this was like more on the comical side and uh, we're sat around a campfire. So, you know, uh, a little bit of good editing going on there. But um, so basically we are, like I said, sitting around a campfire telling spooky stories. And the one at the end, oh my God, you, you don't want to miss the one at the end because, well, I mean, well, you, you've got this far. You you wouldn't stop now, would you? But uh, the one at the end really, really cracks us up. So enjoy 
the last three clips of our Halloween stories of the week. Welcome, my pretties, to this week's Talking Codswallop Halloween episode. <laughs> I am the ghoulish Gemma. Yeah, you're right, guys. I'm James. <laughs> <laughs> James is being a boring fart. <laughs> Come on, you can be you can you can be a vampire. Come on, James. I don't know what a vampire sounds like. <laughs> I want to suck your blood. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, to the strangest, deepest, weirdest talking Codswallop ever. Exactly, James. See? I knew you had it in you. That's amazing. That was amazing work. Is that why you're called James the Voice Stafford? Indeed, yes. And occasionally I will throw in a... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try some voices throughout the episode. I just thought I'd okay. try to amuse people by going completely flat and <laughs> normal. Oh, I know. I know. And it amused me as well. But I had to, uh, I had to pull it out of you. <laughs> but uh, sorry to break... We broke the illusion. Sorry, this is the Halloween episode. <laughs> and... James and I are sat currently around a campfire, um, obviously social distancing away from one another. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff has a problem being sat near a campfire because she's ginger and soulless. She's afraid they're going to burn her like a witch. So it took a (gasps) long to sit near a campfire. (laughs) (laughs) Boo, here's boo. (laughs) (laughs) well our episode that we've got planned for you today is we have found well i found but no i'll say we found we found 10 stories that are going to terrify you that are real life real life Real life. You're scary. <laughs> really scary. That Gemma's laughing at you right now because she found them, not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I did. I wanted us both to have credit, but you know, I, I did do all the work for this episode. <laughs> There's a surprise, guys. <laughs> I, I just turn up off a lot, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, James just turns up and rocks up with a mic. Yeah, too much. Yeah, yeah. Starting to go yeah. to conventions. I'm just this bloke wandering around the microphone asking people questions. <laughs> well, James, you're not being very spooky at the moment. I'm doing all the spooky, and you're not doing. Yeah, we're not even. We've broken the illusion that we're sat around a campfire now. For God's sake, James. I thought just me alone is terrifying enough for people, but you know. <laughs> Well, for some it is. <laughs> <laughs> In the cold place. Uh, yes, we, uh, yeah, let's see. Let's keep going. So we'll see where things go. Uh, I can keep doing a weird quasi-Transylvania accent. The, the scary aspect for that is that it will, in fact, decrease our listener numbers. <laughs> Well, if it does, then it's your fault. <laughs> the James there is what? <laughs> well, that's a very good point, actually. Yeah, so do whatever you want. 
Do you know what the scariest thing as well to me is that my creepy laugh is not much different to my real laugh. Uh, not much different to my real laugh. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, right. Okay. So if you children are sitting comfortably, shall we go break into one of our stories, James? We shall begin. Mine this week so far is a mutant two-headed snake slithers into grandmother's home through an open door before we get into this i don't like snakes at the best time so i find snakes rather rather scary to be honest but having a mutant two-headed snake really does not make me feel happy because it's the head that you worry about isn't it that's the one that can bite you so that's not what you want to play with no not that kind of snake anyway <laughs> Let less filth anyway <laughs> <laughs> nah <laughs> janine wilson was at home with her family when a two-headed rat snake slithered into her home after the door was left open a rare discovery that affects just one in 100,000. A family card game was dealt a hand nobody expected when a two-headed snake slithered in and surprised the players. Janine Wilson was at home with her family in Alexander County, North Carolina, when she realised the Joker wasn't the wild card in the room. Okay, so she's from North Carolina. I have to do a North Carolina accent. Let's go with it. What What is it, James, do you reckon? I don't really know. No, uh, North Carolina. Y'all, maybe? Those sort of accents? Yeah. I found... Like that? <laughs> That'll do, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> okay, so back to the spookiness. I found this rat snake in my sunroom after we had a card game with friends and family, said the retiree. My son had opened the door to let some air in, and I guess it came in then. Well, I've never been a snake person, but when I saw him, my heart broke. Oh, my heart wouldn't break. <laughs> the shovel would probably break its head, but... <laughs> How eerie damn! <laughs> oh my god! Holy Jesus Christ and superstar! <laughs> <laughs> What she'd found was a rat snake with two heads, a mutation that affects just 0.001% of those born into the species, according to experts. Janine, 63, instantly felt sorry for it. Two-headed snakes face an uphill battle for survival, sometimes even struggling to move properly due to having two independent brains. I know nothing about snakes, but I knew it was not poisonous, said Janine. So she knows nothing about snakes, but she knows it wasn't poisonous. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just picking a hole in the argument there. Although I have just seen it against her hand, and it is tiny. It's like quite a tiny little snake, so actually it looks quite cute in a way. I said, there's nobody gonna hurt you. I wanted him to be somewhere safe and taken care of. <laughs> Naming the creature Double Trouble, Janine took the creature to Katawaba Science 
uh, center, I struggled on the word center, in Hickory. <laughs> Not a problem. Center. <laughs> exactly. A tough one. Exactly. In Hickory, North Carolina. Oh, hold on. In Hickory, North Carolina. There she learned just how rare her discovery was. One in a th- uh, hundred thousand. They said it's around four months old and in good health, she recalled. I think I've lost her accent a little bit. It's all right. Have I? I, I it's still going. I wouldn't even know what I, North Carolina accent was. <laughs> I have no idea either. This is just my generic American accent. So. <laughs> they put him in his own vivarium. Vivarium. Viv- vivarium? You had it. You had it again. You, you get oh. a big word into vivarium. Okay. <laughs> Yay, words. <laughs> <laughs> from American listeners, the more you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it crowded inside a rock and stuck its head out of the hole like it was home. Ah! Uh, now the creature is being looked after by the snake handler in. In North Carolina, (laughs) two-headed creatures can occur when an embryo splits as if it forms two twins, but it does not split. Uh, it does not split completely. It does not spit completely, is what I nearly said. <laughs> probably doesn't as well. <laughs> yeah, it probably. Yeah, it can also occur the other way around, with two separate embryos incompletely fusing to form a two-headed creature. Few survive long enough to be born, and fewer still lived beyond that. Rat snakes take their name from their prey. No shit, says the article. (laughs) Which they usually kill by biting and constricting. They are not feminous. And that is the conclusion of that story. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was thinking, initially with the snake, I was thinking, hey, could it be big? Could it be kind of useful? Could it be a good pair of boots? But by the sounds of it, nope, it's just some weird, some poor little two-headed snake. Oh. Yeah. It is is super tiny, going by the picture on this uh, woman's hand. Yeah, bless it. It's probably only about maybe five or six centimeters long it's not really that long so it's a wee snake yeah yeah so it's in reflection it's quite cute but it still has two heads and i don't think i would like it with two heads no so no but then no. i'm not a fan of snakes so that's also probably why be afraid very very afraid yes Exactly. So I hope, listeners, you're feeling rather spooky right now. Mm. But the episode's not over yet. James, what's next? You've got to listen to more weird, scary stories. So here we go. Now this is one that I particularly thought was interesting. A ghostly face in an abandoned castle ruins. These internet spooked and stumped. The eerie photo stumped... Who writes this crap? (laughs) (laughs) Well, normally the Metro James, actually. (laughs) I think the scariest thing so far has been the awful writing, but the eerie photo stumped 
taken by right i'm gonna read this i'm gonna ignore this this is so badly written i don't know why this has annoyed me so much <laughs> so this eerie photo place he stumped people so it was taken by a photographer at douglas park in north ayrshire scotland and he's basically stumped and confused people because they struggled to come up with an explanation for it a bone-chilling image of a ghostly face staring out from a historic ruins in scotland have stunned the internet the photos were taken at Douglas Park in Largs, North Ayrshire, and have attracted a recent surge of interest after being shared online. The remarkable clarity of the face left some viewers in disbelief, with many suspecting that a double exposure could account for the spooky image. But the photographer pointed out that the leaves would likely have moved between exposures and blurred, and he even provided a negative of the photograph, which also showed the face. Oh. One viewer said, I'll give credit, my photographer friend, I'm having trouble debunking this one. <laughs> Is that a Scottish accent? <laughs> do an I'm part Scottish. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, it's very good. I'm sorry. I apologise. <laughs> Another added, most compelling evidence I've seen in a while. Great catch. Don't give up on the Scottish accent, James. We've got a wee bit more, don't worry. So, Okay. <laughs> photographer who asked to remain anonymous took the photo in 2016, but waited a few years to share the images. He said, At the time of taking the picture, I didn't feel anything out of the ordinary. Nothing weird. That was much better, James, I have to say. That was much, much better. Bravo. Yeah, when I developed the film, I always scan it. It makes it easier to determine the quality of the photo and which is worth worthy of being made into a print using the enlarger. The face was pretty obvious on the scan. I felt that I captured something that looks like this, something I find interesting to look at, and later a bit proud to have something to show people who like mysteries. However, despite the excitement surrounding the images, the photographer, who has since moved back to his native Czech Republic from Scotland, remained sceptical. The snapper added, I honestly don't think, even after looking at it through a microscope, that there is enough detail to make up a specific facial feature. Of course, it is possible to speculate, but the human brain makes us see familiar features everywhere, especially when we look at it long enough. Some people even say that they see other faces there, not just the one. I don't see other ones, but some say they do. As a general rule, I don't like the term paranormal. If it exists, it is normal. In the case of ghosts, I don't know if they exist. I would like to encourage people to come up with their own theories. And that, they say, is that. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, there is an... Imp James, that was, uh, sorry, just bravo with that Scottish accent. That was really, really good then. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> I didn't want to say it while you were doing it, though. <laughs> it was a bit, bit shaky at the start, but I'm not saying... It was a bit shaky at the start. I wasn't 100% sure if you were doing a Scottish accent at the start, but, yeah, no, you pulled it off in the end, so that's good. <laughs> I started off Scottish Indian. And then went to school. Yeah. Well, he didn't is all I can say. <laughs> so, what is the ghostly image then? I'm not sure. It just looks like a slightly weird. I mean, it doesn't look particularly scary. It could be anything. It could be like something like glass. It could be. It's a hard one to argue. Uh, 
of what it could be. Yeah, because sometimes it can be when you're taking a photograph and um, say it's a dark place. <laughs> if they take a photograph, it can be like the the flash coming off of glass or whatever. So it might just be that, but I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just be very harsh debunking everything. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> apparently we are. <laughs> um, well, no, I, I like to hope, you know, but I hope that it's, if it is a ghost, I hope they're there by choice, not by, you know, that they're being punished for anything and they're stuck there. That's, that's actually, we're not supposed to debunk things on the Halloween episode, are we? It is a ghost. Hello? Okay. Hello? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, yeah, spooky. Yeah, can you hear me? Oh, sorry. I thought you said hello, as in like, um, uh, like you can say hello. You can hear I me. Lost you for a second. You went <laughs> a bit, sort of got there in, in and out and in out sort of thing. So. Oh, did I? Oh, okay, sorry. You find out that it's the spirits. You see, the spirits are moving us. <laughs> yes, exactly. They're disagreeing with the fact that we're debunking the fact that they aren't real <laughs> and they are coming to get us in the outside um, around this fire pit because we have to keep remembering that we're not sat in our luxurious warm rooms right now. Oh, <laughs> definitely not. Definitely. Definitely not. Definitely no. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah, fire. Definitely fire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's moving on to my next story. Son's horror after mum buries wrong pet in garden, <laughs> thinking it was their cat. <laughs> 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 oh god, I must I've got a really dark sense of <laughs> So have I because I picked the story. <laughs> Eric Schmidt's mum buried what she mistakenly thought was their beloved cat called Kitty in the back garden after spotting a dead animal near their home. The man has shared his shock after his mum accidentally buried the wrong animal in the back garden. Voiceover artist Eric Schmidt shared the hilarious tale, which took place over text messages on Twitter. So it's not text messages, the mirror, it's tweets. So get it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they refer to text messages again, but we all know it's tweets. Mm -hmm. He captioned the set of text messages, she said in adverted commas. <sighs> you guys. <laughs> um, it, it's not as she said where he's from, so I'm not going to be able to do an accent for this one, unfortunately. I'll try and do a man's voice. Is that sound like a man's voice? <laughs> kind of. That, all, that woman had a lot of, uh, you know... Um, who's been doing a lot of steroids. Yeah. All right, well, what about this? Is that better? <laughs> Something. <laughs> All right, we'll go with this voice. You guys would not believe the roller coaster of emotions I've had I've been through. The stressed saga went viral with nearly 40,000 retweets and 330, uh, sorry, 313,000 likes. It began with a text message from his dad breaking the sad news. He wrote, I've got some bad news. K 
Kizzy has been missing since last night when your mum drove the neighbours ju- uh, when the mum oh, sorry I'm just going to read my, my normal voice because I think that's easier has <laughs> dad has this guy had some sort of head injury <laughs> I don't know I didn't mean it to sound like that but <laughs> it's hard when you're a female to try and sound like a man alright <laughs> okay. right, so Gemma's normal voice now. Excellent. When your mum drove the neighbourhood just now, she found her in the street near the house. Your mum is pretty emotional, so please reach out when you can and offer your support. Eric responded with his condolences while his sister urged their father to look after her while she was upset. But the incident took an unexpected turn after the pet was buried <gasps> what is that unexpected turn it's ruined it by giving it the article name <laughs> <laughs> just two hours later eric's dad messaged well you are not going to believe this <laughs> after a beautiful burial service and words of remembrance from yours truly we walked back in the house and began our post kitty life out of habit, I looked out of the back window and guess who was staring back at me? <laughs> oh dear. You, you guessed it. We buried someone else's cat. <laughs> You hear the people feeding other people's cats, but burying it. I mean, come on. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I guess it's true. Cats do have nine lives. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly not the one they buried, obviously. (laughs) No. (laughs) Thanks for your kind words. All is better now. Yeah, how kind we are, just laughing at them. (laughs) (laughs) After Eric's sister asked for proof, their dad sent a photo showing that it was uh, that the kitty was very much alive. (laughs) What a wuss! He should have dug up the other one, shown that to her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The story took another unexpected twist when Eric shared another text from his mum revealing that she'd actually buried a rabbit. <laughs> what, mistaking it for the cat? Yeah. Oh, family. I don't think she'd be out. <laughs> How can you not tell the difference between a cat and a rabbit? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. These people should not be allowed out and supervised. Good God. (laughs) She wrote, Oh, and by the way, I dug up the carcass and took it to our vet. And it didn't have a chip in it. It's dead. (laughs) (laughs) It's (laughs) dead. When 
No, the chip. They meant like a chip has in like you, that, you chip. Just leave the poor thing alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was basically we're trying to give it back to the um, original owners at that point with dirt on it. <laughs> How are you going to explain it to the? Can you imagine that? Explain to the originals. Yeah, we we actually buried it. Uh, Please you've got a shovel <laughs> thing that's decapitated it the other way we're digging it up. But, uh, you know, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> so she continued, or oh, I think it was her anyway, because it is a rabbit. Do not tell the world about it. The internet de- uh, detectives pointed out the text messages were originally from 2015, leading to Eric, confer- Eric confirming that he accidentally lost his original tweet and wanted to share it. He tweeted, My account got hacked and the tweet was lost and I just wanted to make it my pinned tweet because I feel it's a good intro. I had no idea it would take off again. Peep, sorry, you going to say something? No, no, I'm, I'm trying to take all this horrifying stuff in. <laughs> <laughs> I love this story. I think this is amazing. I didn't actually proofread this story beforehand. This is why it's not genuine reaction coming from me as well. <laughs> People were left in hysterics by the incident. <laughs> it's not just us, thank God. It's not just us, no. <laughs> With one fellow cat owner replying, this 100% happened to my in-laws poor kitty out on the road went to the vet didn't make it had her cremated a few days later (laughs) i hear my mum-in-law my mum my mother-in-law screaming you little bastard (laughs) in the garden at the cat who just walked up the path like nothing had happened (laughs) (laughs) and this is why i love cats (laughs) another added this exact thing happened to my fam when i was younger so fam as in family but Mm -hmm. we're too cool to say family i woke to mum bawling and she sat me down and she said our cat was no longer with us because they'd found her body in the road. 45 minutes with us sobbing, my sister walks in the room with our cat curled up in her arms, asking for McDonald's pancakes. (laughs) Another praised his mum, tweeting, props to your mum for taking the mystery carcass to the vet in case another family was looking for their pet. So that's, yeah, so that's the reason why she, uh, she sent it there. Um, she went there, sorry. Right, okay, so that that was the end. Oh. Yeah, all, all I can say is if that ever happens again, the family's going to have to hop to it. <laughs> that was all right. That was all right. It wasn't great, but it was all no. right. <laughs> could have been a lot worse. <laughs> it could have been. <laughs> yeah, they need to get to the claws of things, really, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was really bad as well. I think we shouldn't pun right now Probably because it not. takes away from how amazing that story was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last one, me again. Really, really hope that you enjoyed this uh, sort of uh, compilement clip show type whatever um so i really hope that you did enjoy it anyway because you know i did sort of try and craft it sorry some of the audio wasn't fantastic but you know james 
yeah, going to blame James. But James wasn't uh, massively great with his microphone in the early days. And uh, you, you can hear, obviously, my audio sounds fantastic throughout, you know. And uh, <laughs> no, it has its moments as well, don't worry. But um, yeah, I mean, like I said, James didn't have the, the best stuff initially, but now he's spot on. He's got uh, daddy of all mics so he's uh he's all good but anyway i just wanted to wish you all a happy halloween and i hope you get lots of candy dress up and do things if you dress up maybe go on our social media at cod's wallet pod and maybe tag us so that we can see what kind of halloween outfits you've gone for but yeah stay safe have fun and eat lots of candy or drink lots of booze whichever you prefer but Happy Halloween. It will be a normal episode again next week, although it may be a factual normal episode and hoping to record that with Andy. But let's face it, none of us really know exactly what's going on with this podcast at the moment. <laughs> but it is getting back on track eventually. So don't worry. But thank you ever so much for your support. And uh, as always, guys, I love you. Yeah. So this is Gemma. Signing off for the last time. Bye.